All right, we got a full house this morning. We were able to add 24 more chairs to the seating chart, so you're welcome this morning, all right? The last few months on our One Service Sundays, it has been quite packed, quite packed. I think because uh, we didn't have all the chairs out, and for whatever reason, a lot of people don't want to sit on the front row. What's the deal with that, man? Like the front row is like spitting section, right? I'm going to be spitting a lot in this first row right here this morning. Anyways, good to see you this morning. Um, I really hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We are in the Christmas season, y'all. Who wore their ugly Christmas sweater this morning? Raise your hand, stand up proud, show everybody your ugly Christmas. Oh, there we go. Okay, there we go. Stand up, come on. All right, here we go. Let me see here. Oh, we got... We got a whole family of Christmas sweaters. I'm digging that, digging that. All right, all right. Well, as you can tell, my sweater's super ugly because it has a big fat cat on the front. If you, listen, listen, listen. I believe the fallen angels that went with uh, the, the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, he took cats with him. That's what he did. And the Bible says that Satan will be bound for a thousand years in the abyss. And I believe the cats will be bound forever. All right, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If you're a guest this morning, welcome to Summit Point Church. All right. Here's the deal. We can have a little bit of fun. This is kind of intro time before we get into the spiritual things. But I want to say welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Does anyone enjoy One Service Sundays? I just love them, man. They're like the best. You know, people have asked me, why don't we just do One Service Sundays every week? But the problem, <laughs> who was that? Who said no? Why are you saying no, Anna? That's true. That's true. You know, there's multiple problems with One Service Sundays. Number one, we do want a service for our youth, right? So we would have to put it before or after because I want teenagers in the worship service. Which, by the way, if you're a parent of a teenager, they come at 9 o'clock, you should force them to come to 1030. Like, I want to preach to them, right? They should be listening to me too, all right? So we need a youth service. Number two, it really will be very difficult on volunteers. Like Ona said, we'll have to have a lot of um, rotational volunteers. And just look around. We really can't grow at this point. We're like saturated. You know, pastors, I was telling the board of directors Thursday night, pastors love full services. We just love packed out services. But people don't. People don't like sitting right next to, you know, people, right? They want space. They want to put their purse down, you know, their Bible down. They want to put their arms out, you know. So <laughs> some of you are, you're guilty, so if we go to one service Sundays, we can't grow. But here's the deal. The mission of the church is to reach people with the gospel and to disciple believers. And so the church is the hope of the world. Amen? And so that's why we have two services. So come back next week, 9 o'clock and 1030. All right, here we go. So here's the deal. I, a little transparency this morning. I got to be honest about something. I told you a week ago we're going to continue our series on the gospel of John. We were going to be in chapter, I know, some of you are like, I'm already hearing the type A people. Yes, you did. You said chapter two. They read the passage last night. They're ready to go, you know. 
I did say it. I wasn't lying. My intention was chapter 2. But here's the honest truth. Here's the honest truth. The reality is, I've been looking at chapter 2. The next passage is Jesus cleansing the temple. And I just felt like maybe that wouldn't be fitting for the kickoff Christmas season. You know, we talk about Jesus as the coming Savior, born of a virgin, born in a little grotto cave. Or we're going to talk about the God-man Jesus cleansing the temple and overturning the tables and the coins. And so I thought, you know what? We're going to come back to the cleansing of the table on a different day. All right. Anyone okay with that? All right. Thank you so much. All right, good. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a series called Because of Bethlehem. And we're going to look at different different key themes connected to Christmas. So I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and pull out your message notes. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Let me read it for you. If you have a copy of God's Word, pull that out. Pull out your message notes. And uh, we're going to dive into it this morning together. It's one of the most profound, uh, theologically insightful passages about the coming Messiah, about Jesus who would be the the God-man, the Savior of the world, and it gives these amazing titles, who Jesus would be. It really clarifies his identity. Let me read it for you. It says, "For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, which, by the way, Jesus told his disciples, if I leave you, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I will give you the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, right, the the advocate. The Holy Spirit is is our counselor, the, the paraclete. But Jesus is also called the Wonderful Counselor because he's God. And it says, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, the the beautiful thing about Isaiah chapter 9, it gives us two perspectives. It gives us heaven's perspective and it gives us earth's perspective. It says, for to us, a child is born. That is earth's perspective. This is why we celebrate. This is why we we, we gather and we talk about the Christmas story. For to us, a child is born. But then it says, to us, a son is given. That is heaven's perspective. He didn't just come. Jesus didn't just leave the glory of heaven and penetrate the lostness of of humanity and the darkness of our world. He didn't just come. He was given. He was given by the Father's heart and by the Father's hand. The central meaning of Christmas is that Jesus was given as a gift. Here's my question this morning to you. Do you see Jesus as a gift. Do you see Jesus as the greatest gift, the greatest treasure of all? Do you see Jesus as the only one that can meet your deepest needs in life? Do you see Jesus as the one who can only truly give you true significance and and really form your true identity? Do you see Jesus as the one 
the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. You know, the best gifts at Christmas are not the ones that you want, right? The best Christmas gifts are the ones that you need. I love what Tim Keller said. He said, I see that I am not so much a sufferer who needs a heavenly sugar daddy. I am a sinner who needs a savior. Every single one of us in this room, we need a savior. And the savior has come. And he's bridged the gap so that we can have life in him. We need someone in here. See, there's a lot of people, they think they're going to heaven because they have Jesus here. But they miss heaven by 12 inches. It's not head knowledge. It is heart knowledge. It's heart transformation. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement that you're broken, that you're a sinner, that you're far away from God. But that Jesus bridged the gap so that you might know him. Every single one of us needs a savior. God gave us the best gift. He gave us the best gift of all. He gave us the gift of himself. He sent his only begotten son. The first Christmas gift was not from the wise men traveling from afar. You know, I read a a little joke this week. It it said, you know, why why were the, the wise men's hair singed? And, and because they came from afar, afar. Okay, all right, whatever. Maybe, maybe the delivery is bad. I was trying, right? They came from afar, all right. Um, the first Christmas gift was not from the wise men traveling from afar. Uh, the first gift was from the Father's heart. He gave us his son. He did this because he loves us. Because he wants us to have an ultimate and an intimate relationship with him. Think about this for a moment. The the book of Ephesians talks about that we're saved by his grace. And it really lays out this truth that that we are the riches of his grace. Do Do you believe, do you see it in scripture? I do, especially in Ephesians chapter one and two, that for eternity, we're gonna be the trophies of God's grace. It is all about his glory. It's all about his saving grace and his saving work. And we are going to be forever uh, displaying the redemptive work through Christ for us. God went to the greatest lengths imaginable for you to be with him someday. You know, he sent his son Jesus into the darkness of our world. Jesus was He became a servant. He became a man. It says that he humbled himself and he walked in our shoes and he was tempted in every way yet without sin. And the Bible says that the Passion Week, the last week of his life, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people were lying in the streets and they were hailing him as as king and they were singing the Messianic Psalm and and, and they were declaring him uh, son of David And they were hailing him as the Messiah, the the, the king of the Jews. And he comes into Jerusalem receiving all of this praise. And we know that there's all of these events in the last week of his life. There's teaching and the religious leaders see his authority. And, And we know that it comes to Thursday night. And he has a meal with his disciples. And he transforms the Passover meal, which was a remembrance of God delivering his people in Egypt. We, we know that God sent Moses and Aaron and plague after plague after plague. And then the final plague was the death of the firstborn. 
But God's people would be rescued. They would be, they would be spared if they took a lamb and they shed the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of their home. So when the death angel came by, the death angel would see the blood. It was a, a foreshadowing of what was to come. That if the blood of Jesus was on your life, you would be spared, you would be forgiven, you, you would be protected. And so this beautiful story, this remembrance, Jesus takes this meal and he transforms it into the Lord's Supper. He says, this is my blood, this is my body. This is the covenant that I've made with you. I am the, the one that's bridging the gap between you and God. And when the, we know, we know hours later after the disciples had fallen asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus experienced the horrors of the cross as he was sweating drops of blood. He was experiencing psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, physically the agony of the cross that was looming in the distance. We know that several hours later, after Peter denied him multiple times and he was, he was beaten and he was um, mocked and, and he was spit upon and his beard was ripped out and his hair was ripped out and he stood trial in the middle of the night which was against the law. We know that eventually he carries the cross, the Via Dolorosa, and he carries his cross which is probably a 120 pound cross beam and he carries it to Golgotha, Calvary and there they nail him to the cross. But the Bible says that he voluntarily gave his life for us. He was crucified on Good Friday, he was buried, and he rose again that Sunday morning, conquering the grave, conquering your sin, conquering your past, conquering your shame, conquering your guilt, so that when you encounter Christ, when you place your faith in Christ, and Christ forgives you, you stand forgiven, amen? You stand changed. You've been given the greatest gift, the gift of eternal life that's only found in Christ. It's a gift of God's grace, and he freely extends it to you. See, we are saved by God's sheer grace. Nothing we can do. We can't, we can't achieve it. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. He gives it to us as a gift. He, he went to the greatest lengths imaginable for us to be reunited with him. What Adam lost in the garden, Christ gained through the cross. The cross and the empty tomb proved that the cradle, the birth of the God-man, was true. Here's point number one. God came to earth. God came to earth. He came, in, he came into our world. According to a legend, Satan and his demons were having a Christmas party. As the demonic guests were departing, one grinned and said to Satan, Merry Christmas, your majesty. At that, Satan replied with a growl, yes. Keep it merry. If they ever get serious about it, we'll all be in trouble. Well, here's the deal, church. Let's get serious about it. Because the incarnation is the coming of the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. It is the birth of the baby. It is the coming of God. It is the intervention of God's presence among men. God with us, Emmanuel. That's what the angel told Joseph and, and Mary, just stop and pause and think about this truth for a moment. The God who spoke and nothing became everything. The God who formed the mountains and laid the rivers and the valleys and sprinkled the heavens with the stars and the sun and the moon and the galaxies. This God, this God left the glory of heaven and took upon flesh 
and walked in our shoes so that we might know him. At the perfect time, Galatians says, at the perfect time, he came to us. God came to us, think about it, as a baby. He didn't come as a warrior. He didn't come as a powerful king. He didn't come with pomp and flair and some huge entourage. Oh, yes, we know about the, the, the magi, the wise men. Some people think, you know, from the region of maybe Mesopotamia. We don't know how many there were. Some people say three. Some people say 12. We don't know. But there wasn't pomp and flair and huge entourage. Actually, Mary and Joseph couldn't find a place to, to lay down to, to, for her to give birth. The innkeeper denied them. So they... they, they they found a little grotto, a little cave. Why did God step into human history as a baby? Have you ever thought about that? Why did God do that? And, and, and my answer is, beats me. I mean, it, God, could have, God could have thundered from heaven. This is the God of the universe. Turn to me and be saved. He came as a humble child. And he grew up in wisdom and stature. And the Bible says that, that he, he was fully man and fully God. And at the age of 30, he started his public ministry. We, we saw that in the Gospel of John. He started it at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. He was invited to a wedding. God could have manifested himself in lots of different ways. But he chose a humble manger scene. He chose to wrap himself in flesh. To walk in our earthly human shoes. He chose to experience the pain of rejection and sorrow. See, this Christmas season, if you're experiencing pain, he experienced it. You're experiencing sorrow. Maybe this is the first Christmas season without that loved one. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a close cousin, a close friend. And there's, there's pain, there's hurt, there's suffering, there's disappointment. I can tell you that Jesus understands. The Bible says that he's our high priest. He sympathizes with us because he's walked in our shoes. 700 years before the, the star guided the Magi to the Messiah's birthplace in Bethlehem, before the lowly shepherds encountered an angel and, and heard the gospel of, of a coming Savior, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah who predicted the birth of a man who would change history. And we call that man the God-man. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And this child, this son, is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The birth of this God-man was unexpected. Let me explain. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, you have to understand, the, the, the people living during this time, you know, during the time of Isaiah, they were probably shocked. There was a massive surprise. Here's why. If God was going to do something big and, and monumental, it would take place at a glorious, big, bustling city called Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. But the Messiah, King Jesus, came from Nazareth. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He, he, he grew up in Nazareth, a, a, a podunk, insignificant town 
of about 50, 50 people in the region of Galilee. In the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes. Zebulun and Naphtali were on the northern regions on, uh, on the outskirts of Israel. And Isaiah goes on to say, but in these latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Galilee of the nations. That means there is hope for humanity. It, what, the gospel wasn't just for Jews. The gospel was for Gentiles as well. The Bible says that the, that the Jews rejected the Messiah. And according to the book of Romans, as Gentiles, we've been grafted into the tree of life. There is hope. There is promise. We can know the God of, of the Bible, the God of these promises. In Isaiah chapter 9, look at verse 2. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The phrase deep darkness literally means shadow of death. People were living in the shadow of death. Even today, people are living in the shadow of death. There's no light. There's no light of hope. There's no light of purpose. There's no light of significance. They're in darkness. Their, their eyes are blinded by the God of this world. But the gospel penetrates light. The beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't leave us in the darkness. He sends his son Jesus to bring light and hope and love to our despair and our loneliness and our hopelessness. I love what the apostle Paul says. He sheds, he sheds light on this. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses um, 4 and 6, it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this for a moment. Satan's aim is to keep people in the shadows of death. His aim is to keep unbelievers from seeing the light, which is clear and visible, which guides our path and, and, and sheds light on, on our future, keeps us from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. There is a spiritual light that only comes through Christ. And it is this light of the glory of Christ. And you have to see this light. Christ came and, and he brought this light. He is the light of, of, of truth. He is the light of the gospel, and if you embrace it, you'll be saved. Here's my point. God came to earth to bring salvation for all people. You know, Jesus was not born in comfort. He was born in a trough. He was not born into a middle-class, wealthy family. He was born into poverty. Jesus was not born with heads of states around him. He was born in obscurity. The news of his arrival first came to shepherds, these, these, these lowly people, bottom of the rung, bottom of the social totem pole. I mean, if you were a shepherd, you were generally unclean. You were unclean, and so there had to be a, a time of, 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 of ritual cleansing before you could go to the temple. These often, the, the shepherds were, they were outcasts, they were crooks, they were criminals, and and here's what God does. He brings the news of the gospel to people like that. See, in our thinking, we think that the gospel is going to come to people that have it all together. 
You know, we would think, oh, the gospel, the gospel would come to the religious establishment. The gospel would come to the Sadducees or the Pharisees. These are people that are, you know, keeping the Torah and the, 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 the commandments and the oral traditions. Surely the gospel would, would go to them because they're spiritual. No, they were so far away from God. It was spiritual hypocrisy. On the outside, everything looked good, but on the inside, they were just, they were tore up. It was the people, the shepherds, that the gospel came to them. And God did the unimaginable. What the world wouldn't be able to understand, God came his way. In the midst of obscurity, there laid the most influential man. In a humble manger trough, there laid the God-man. And around that cradle, there was the glory but not many people saw it. It was the glory of God. It was the light of the gospel. Here's point number two. God became a man. Isaiah says, for to us a child is born. Right? That's earth's perspective. That's what we celebrate. The birth of Jesus during this Christmas season. But it says to us a son is given. That's heaven's perspective. The text doesn't say to us a son is created. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity. He's the Son of God. This is, um, he, he's, the, he's the God-man. Dual natures, divine and human. Now, the Jehovah Witnesses will tell you, no, he's a created being. He's not Jehovah Almighty God. He's a, he's a lesser God. He's, he's mighty God, but he's created. This is not what Isaiah is saying. This is not what the Bible says. Jesus was not created. He's eternal. He's always been eternal. There's nothing new underneath the sun. This is what King Solomon said. Because heresies go all the way back to the beginning. It was Arius, the heretic, who lived during the 3rd, 4th century. And he taught that Jesus was a created being. So here's what happened. The, the, the church fathers formed a council called the Council of Nicaea in, um, in 352. And during that council, they addressed Arius and his heresy, his, his um, misrepresentation of Jesus. And basically, they condemned Arius as a heretic because they were going back to the apostles' teaching and the word of God, that Jesus was not a created being. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, notice what it says. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He came, of, he was born of a virgin, and he was adopted by his earthly father, Joseph. I want to give you two theological implications for the virgin birth. Number one, write this down. Without the virgin birth... Jesus would be a sinner like us. You see, the Jews traditionally believed that original sin was passed through the seed of the man. But Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. Jesus was adopted. You see that the genius of God getting around that, getting around that cultural dilemma, right? Jesus was born of a virgin, which means he was sinless. Here's point number two. Without the virgin birth, Jesus could not atone for our sins. I mean, how could he? If he's just like you and me, human in every way, not divine, 
then we are still in our sins because Christ being human could not die for us. Only Jesus, who was the God-man, who could take our place for us. The, the, the Bible says, Colossians says, tells us, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The fullness of deity, that's Godhead, he took upon flesh and he became a man. Larry King once said that if he could choose one person to interview from the course of human history, he would choose to interview Jesus Christ. King said that he would like to ask Jesus, quote, if he was indeed virgin born. He added, quote, the answer to that question would define history for me. Larry King understands the weightiness and the importance of the virgin birth. The virgin birth is the ultimate game changer. And here's the deal. People say, well, the virgin birth, not a big deal, right? It is a big deal. Christianity hinges on the virgin birth. It's like a deck of cards. If you give on the virgin birth, you have nothing. Every, the, the spiritual um, deck of cards that the Bible gives us is, comes crumbling down. You lose the virgin birth, you lose his deity. You lose the, the power of, of the redemptive story. He can't atone for our sins. He can't bridge the gap between us and God. He can't be a mediator. So salvation can't come through Jesus. And if salvation doesn't come through Jesus, we're all doomed. We're all doomed. But notice what Paul tells us in the book of Galatians. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Paul says God sent forth his son, born of woman. Like this is, for Paul to say, for Paul to insert that God has a son, God sent his son, born of a woman, that's a big deal. Because in this culture, women were like, they were lower than cattle. They had no rights. They couldn't vote. They, they had nothing. They had completely nothing. No rights, no authority, no privileges. Paul's saying he was born of a woman. He could have he said something different. He could have left that out, but he didn't. Jesus understands what it's like to be you because he was human. He understands what it's like to be lonely. You ever think about Jesus? He experienced everything. He was tempted in every way. Do you think he experienced every emotion we've experienced? Absolutely. Jesus, he understands what it's like to be lonely. There are times where, where we feel lonely. Jesus understands what it's like to, to be discouraged, to be rejected, to be marginalized, to be sorrowful, to have a heart filled with grief. He understands every human emotion because he experienced them. Jesus came to earth with one purpose in mind, to die for the sins of the world. The awesomeness and beauty of Christianity hinges on three events. The cradle, the cross, and the empty tomb. And at this time of the year, it's so easy for us to think of, you know, Jesus as this sweet little tender baby. And we pause the manger scene with all its colorful characters. But don't lose sight of the big picture. He was born to die so that we might live. 
He was born to die and rise again three days later. Isaiah says, to us, a son is given. This is earth's perspective. I mean, where would you be without Jesus in your life? I can tell you right now, I wouldn't be standing right here. I wouldn't be a pastor, you know. I mean, my life would probably be a complete wreck, a train wreck. I'd be, I'd be so messed up, you know. But because of Jesus and what he's done in my life, and he's transformed my heart and my thinking, and he's changed me from the inside out. My, my values are different. My worldview, how I see the world, the, the lens through which I, I process like truth and, and, and identity and significance and life and death, all of these things, it's because of Jesus. It's because of the word of God. The word of God has, cha- has shaped my thinking and my, my outlook on life. This is not just an accident. Right? You're not an accident. You were, you were made by God, for God, on purpose. You have a purpose. God loves you. And he has an awesome plan for your life. And he wants you to know him as much as he knows you. Here's point number three. God came to rescue. This is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that God came to rescue us. You know, sometimes I, one of the things I say is we can never get over the cross. And I've said it over and over and over and over and over again. We can never get over the cross. The cross is the display of God's love. It's a a picture of God's big-heartedness. It's a picture of of God pursuing humanity. You know, the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and and said this in Matthew chapter 1. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So the angel tells Joseph, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to name this baby boy. His name's going to be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, the word Jesus means Savior, Yeshua. In the Old Testament, it be translated Joshua, Yeshua, Savior. He came to save, literally, he came to take away our sins. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Just stop and think about that for a moment. The God of the universe came to earth, came to our earth. You know, and when you go to Israel, it, you know, a few years ago I went to Israel, took a group uh, with me, and we piggybacked off of another church, and it was amazing to see with my eyes all the places where Jesus had walked. It was amazing to be on the Sea of Galilee knowing that it's where Jesus called the disciples. It was amazing to go to Capernaum on on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus set up ministry headquarters. It's it's there where where Jesus did ministry. He, He gave the Sermon on the Mount. He gave these powerful sermons. He performed all these amazing miracles and he traveled throughout the Sea of Galilee performing this this amazing ministry to to lost people, to broken people. And it was amazing to to make your way through Jericho and you're seeing these palm trees and you're making your way up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is tucked away in, in the middle of some mountains, the city set on a hill, and you make your way up to Jerusalem and it's this beautiful city. And there you see the the, the Kidron Valley and and you 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 descend um, you descend the mountain and and, and, and you see in a distance that the Temple Mount, 
And you see Antonio Fortress where Jesus was humiliated and beaten and mocked by 600 Roman elite soldiers. And then in, in the distance to the south, uh, kind of way far in the distance, a few miles away, you, you see the city of Bethlehem. And then you go outside of the Damascus Gate on the northern edge of the city, and there you come to the place of the skull, Golgotha, Mount Calvary, where Jesus gave his life for the sins of the world. Jesus is Emmanuel. He came to save. God came to earth. He came to be amongst us. Why did he have to come to save us? Came across a story years ago. I want to read you the story. The phone rang at 1 a.m. in the morning in the home of Leo Winters, a brilliant Chicago surgeon. It was the hospital telling him that a young boy had been tragically mangled in a car accident. Dr. Winter's hands were probably the only ones in the city skilled enough to save that boy's life. He got on his clothes, jumped into his car, and decided the quickest route to the hospital would be to drive through a dangerous neighborhood. But since time was critical, he decided to take the risk. He came to a stoplight, and when he did, a man in a gray hat and a dirty flannel shirt opened the door, pulled him out of his seat, and screamed, give me your car. The doctor tried to explain that he was on an emergency call, but the thief refused to listen. He threw the doctor out of the car, jumped in, and sped off. The doctor wandered for more than 45 minutes looking for a phone so he could call a taxi. When he finally got to the hospital, more than an hour had passed. He ran through the hospital doors, up the stairs to the nurse's station. The nurse on duty looked at him and shook her head and said, Doctor, I'm sorry, but you're too late. The boy died about 30 minutes ago. His father is in the chapel if you want to see him. He is awfully upset because he couldn't understand why you didn't come to help. Dr. Winters walked hurriedly down the hallway and entered into that chapel. Weeping at the altar was a man dressed in a dirty flannel shirt and a gray hat whose eyes were blinded by tears. The boy's father looked up at the doctor in horror and realized his tragic mistake. He had foolishly pushed away the only man in that city who could have saved his son. When it comes to the gospel, don't push Jesus away. Don't push Jesus away because he's the only one that can save you. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And he penetrated our world so that, so that you might know him. He, he is able to save to the uttermost if you draw near to him there's only one person that can save your soul and give you life, eternal life, beyond the grave. There's only one person that can give you breath the moment you die. There's only one person that can usher you into the presence of God when you are six feet under the ground, and that is Jesus. When you exit this life, at the moment you die, you will enter into eternity. The Bible says it is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. Did you notice what that verse says? You die once. One time. It's over. We're all going to face death. Doesn't matter what kind of diet you have, if you're gluten free, vegan, doesn't matter how many pills you take, creams you take, doesn't matter how much exercise you, you do. Here's the deal you're going to die. 
So die a little chubby, a little happy, right? <laughs> you know? Go get yourself an In-N-Out cheeseburger today and enjoy it. But here's the reality. We don't like talking about death. Does anyone like talking about death? Did death ever surface during your Thanksgiving meal? Hey, family, let's talk about death. That doesn't come up. People don't talk about it. People are afraid of death. But here's the reality. With Jesus, we don't need to fear death because he conquered the grave. Amen? He is victorious over the grave. He's the only one that can save us. So don't push him away. Don't push him away. Jesus is the only one who can rescue us and save us. Here's the deal. I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. So I'm just going to give you this real quick. When it comes to Jesus, you, you, have to, you have to decide who is he. I mean, who is he? Five things. He's either a good man, he's a legend, he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. Those are your only options. Good man. He's just a man. No supernatural powers. He's not divine. He wasn't sent from the Father. He, you know, he's not God. He's not eternal. He's just a good man. He's just like you and I. The problem with that is, how do you reconcile him being a good man with his authoritative teachings? Right? How do you reconcile him being a good man with him fulfilling prophecies? With him performing miracles, right? Well, he's a legend. He's fairy tale. He didn't really exist. Wrong. Historians have proven that, yes, he did indeed exist. We have record account that the disciples were all, except for Judas, because he was a thief, always putting his hand in the money bag, and we know he committed suicide. All 11 disciples were martyred for their faith. Different regions, different countries, they were martyred because of the testimony that they, because of their testimony in Christ. Because what they saw, what they experienced, what they, what they heard. Um, he's a liar. You know, he intentionally deceived his followers. He pulled off the greatest hoax in history. That's one option. Number four, he's a lunatic. He's insane. He's delusional. He's, he's a nutcase. Or he is Lord. He is who he said he was. And here's the deal. He fulfilled hundreds of prophecies. And not only that, he said he was going to die. He did die. He said he was going to rise again from the grave. And guess what he did? He rose again from the grave. He said it. He did it. He, he fulfilled it. It's pretty powerful to me. There are three things that make Christianity unique. Number one, only Jesus claimed to be God. And I think this is huge. No other religious leader or founder ever made this claim. Look at all of the major world religions. Only Jesus made this claim. Number two, only Jesus rose from the grave. No other religious leader has conquered the grave. Number three, only Jesus can save us from our sins, can truly save us. We cannot save ourselves. This is why I said earlier, Jesus was born to die so that we might live. Jesus was sent from the Father on a rescue mission. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know this Jesus who left the glory of heaven and came to earth, became a man, walked in our shoes? Do you know this Jesus 
This Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the Savior of the world. The one, the only one who can rescue you from your sins. Do you know him? If you don't know him today, here's the gospel. The gospel means good news. As the angel said, it's good news of great joy for all people. The gospel is for you. It's a joyous message, and it can transform your life. It is good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. And the good news is that we're sinners, separated from God. Jesus came, and he bridged the gap, and he died on a cross for you. And if you turn from your sin, you place your faith in Christ, he will forgive you. He'll wash you clean. You'll be, you'll be a new person, a new person in Christ. New purpose, new identity, new meaning, new life, new outlook on everything, new hope, which is the greatest, one of the greatest things during this Christmas season. Life is short, life is temporal, it's fleeting, it's like a mist, it comes and it goes. But because of the gospel, life doesn't end when we die. Really, our true life in Christ begins. Our forever life, our forever home, our forever family, the forever gift given to us by God the Father. His heart sent his son Jesus. And when we receive Jesus as the gift and we receive him as Lord and Savior, he comes into our lives and he changes us and he forgives us. And we will forever be with the one whose hands and feet were pierced for our sins. Let's pray.